A number of years ago, Adolf Eichmann, the Nazi general who was responsible in large part for the great atrocities against the Jews, was arrested and brought to Jerusalem for trial. He was placed in a bulletproof glass booth and stood trial, a trial that lasted about 30 days. A reporter, one reporter was allowed by the Knesset to question him and interview him. And among the questions that he asked Adolf Eichmann was this, do you believe, sir, in God? And Eichmann's reply was, yes, I believe in God, but I don't believe that God really is concerned about me. I suppose that we've all felt that way at some time, haven't we? God is too busy taking care of His universe to be concerned about a zero like I am down here in Durant, Oklahoma. And that's why the 21st chapter of John is so significant. Because in this chapter we make the wonderful discovery of what kind of concern a living, risen Lord has for His people who He is, and how much He cares for them. And there are three illustrations in this text that I read to illustrate that, two, three incidents to illustrate it. The first is Jesus instructing fishermen in fishing. And then He gives these fishermen, tired and hungry, a fish breakfast. And in the last incident, he is instructing the representative disciple by the name of Peter in his purpose for his life and in the larger purpose for his people. And right up front, on the front end, I'm impressed by the fact that there is no uh, gap. He makes no distinction in these incidents. They just flow together. They just, they just belong together beautifully and naturally. In the last incident, he is doing no less than directing this head apostle in how the initial and ongoing and progressive work of the church is to be carried out. But no less time is spent on fishing and breakfast than is spent on sermons. And one commentator sees that and he says, there are no breaks in these incidents. We make the breaks in our mind. For Jesus does not distinguish between breakfast and spiritual work, between our fishing on Saturday and our worship on Sunday. And that's true. We make a gap between chapel and chemistry class, between um, handball and religion. We make a, distinct, a, a distinction between our kitchen and our quiet time, but our Lord doesn't, for He cares about all of these things. And I want you to look with me for a moment at the care that Jesus has for His people. And as you do that, I want you to remember 
that he has just finished his work of salvation and just moments from now he's going to ascend to that indescribable glory and wonder of the Father. And yet he sees and cares for fishing and breakfast. And it's no less than wonderful that even though in just a moment he's going to that indescribable glory and yet he has concern, yea, deep concern for hungry fishermen and their fishing. As a matter of fact, it's incredible. For our minds are occupied by the immediate around us and we're absorbed by those things. If I'm going to leave for a vacation on Tuesday, it just wipes out Monday for me. That's all I can think about. That's all that I have on my mind. Jesus is about to ascend to the glory He had from the beginning of the world, beginning of time, and yet He's not absorbed by that. He is absorbed, however, by the hunger of these disciples and by their fishing. Would you look with me at how this whole thing develops? Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. And those who were with him said, we're going with you. And I can understand that. For they'd had something of a week. Jesus had taught them so many things, it would have taken a month to assimilate them. All that's found in John 12 through 17, he taught them that night before. He taught them about the Holy Spirit and about heaven and about discipleship. He taught them about servanthood and he gave them object lessons about humility and their heads were spinning. And besides that, they were witnessing the collapse of their kingdom, at least the kingdom that they perceived. One of their own had betrayed him. All of them had forsaken him at the time he needed them the most. And Jerusalem was up for grabs. And so they wanted to get back to Galilee to their home court, to their turf. And they wanted to get with some of those familiar things. They just wanted to get to that little familiar lake and those familiar boats and nets. And they just wanted to sit, on, sit there on the lake in their little boat and just let it bob up and down and let their heads clear and let them get some things together. Oh, I know they should have done what Jesus told them. He told them to go to Jerusalem and stay there until they were endued with power. But I can understand why they did what they did, and so did Jesus. At least He didn't come down hard on them. When He stood on that shore that morning, He didn't call out, All right, you guys, beach that boat and everybody line up. Simon Peter, you've done it again. How long am I going to have to put up with you after all I've done for you? And you fellows, look at what I've been trying to teach you. Look what I've done for you. No, I didn't say that. He didn't rebuke them. He didn't scold them. He didn't criticize them. For what they needed was not criticism. They needed help. And so he called out, How about your fishing? Have you caught any? And there came a crisp no. And if it was Simon Peter who said that, there's probably some words he said along with it that John left out. And Jesus said, Well, why don't you cast your nets on the starboard side? And so they did, and when they brought in the nets, they were full of fishes, 153. I don't know whether this was another miracle Jesus was performing or whether He just saw a school of fishes swimming on that side of the boat. That's not the important thing. The important thing is what that incident reveals to us. It reveals that Jesus 
is concerned about fishing. And he cares that they've toiled all, all night in their work and caught nothing. And so he comes to them in the hour of their failure and he directs them because he wants them to have fulfillment and success in their work. And as I watch our Lord, I know that everything in life is sacred to him. That there's nothing about your life that really bothers him. That he makes no differentiation between spiritual work and ordinary things. He cares about all of this. And I know that the loving care and concern of Jesus is for you and your work. He does care this morning that you've worked all your life and have gotten nowhere. He is concerned that there is a circumstance in your job that makes your work almost intolerable. He is concerned that you can't make enough to make ends meet or that you've lost your job. And He wants you to succeed and He wants you to be successful and fulfilled in your labor because all of life is sacred to God and He cares about all of it. G. Campbell Morgan was a teacher of boys. And one day the Lord came to him and impressed him that he wanted him to be a teacher, a pastor teacher. And so G. Campbell Morgan left his responsibility as a headmaster and he became one of the greatest pastor teachers that's ever lived, pastor of the Westminster Chapel in London. And G. Campbell Morgan remembers that day when when he answered the call of God to that particular work. And this is what he says about it. Listen carefully. Jesus Christ would have never said to me, I'll come and I'll make you fishers of men. He knows perfectly well that I'm no fisherman. He did come to me one day when I sat at my desk with boys around me teaching, and he said, follow me and I'll make you a teacher of men. I went after him on the line of my capacity. Suppose he had not called me to this work as I sat at the desk. Then that work would have been as sacred as this. Or suppose he's not called you to give up your office in the city but to stay there. Then your office is a holy place if you're a holy man. Suppose you are called on every day of the week to work at the carpenter's bench, to superintend the building of houses, to place brick on brick therein. It is all sacred. The Lord is watching you when you're fishing, watching you as you write letters, watching as you build your house, uh, as you do your work. Then all of life becomes sacred. If we could realize this, then we would go back to a week radiant with life and glory. I tell you, it's true. And so he watches you as you work at your typewriter and desk. And so he watches you as you stand before that blackboard, drive that truck, nail those nails, labor in that field, walk in those hospital rounds. And he really cares about fishing and about work. That's how, who he is and that's what he does. And there's a second incident that reveals the life, the care of Jesus. He fed them fish breakfast. And he said to these disciples, 
why don't you come on and have some breakfast? And so they got off, they got out of the boat and they came to the shore and they found, says the scripture, that he already had a fire laid for them. That's an insignificant work, word in, uh, in English, pregnant in Greek. It means carefully prepared. It means to be built. It means careful preparation. When they got off onto the land, they saw this fire carefully prepared and built. God grilling fish. Why? Because they're hungry and they're tired and He cares about that. Do you see the powerful fact in this simple act? Look at this. The risen Lord of glory the King of kings and Lord of lords, the Creator, the one cohesive personal force that holds His creation together, the risen Lord of glory is fixing breakfast for His disciples. Can you see that? Do you see those hands freshly imprinted with nails and he's passing out breakfast to hungry tired disciples what a picture of the care of God there was a man named John Brintz who was a friend of Martin Luther and made a significant contribution to the Reformation himself but he incurred the wrath of Charles V King of Spain and Charles said he was going to kill John Prince. And one morning he awoke to find troops in town and they were threatening to take him as prisoner and put him to death. And so John Prince fled. He stopped just long enough to get a loaf of bread and to say a prayer on the run. And he went out in the edge of town and he got in this barn and he climbed up in a raft, got up in the rafters, climbed up in the loft, got up in the rafters, and he stayed there 14 days. Wasn't enough bread to sustain him. He'd eat a little bread the first day thinking that's all I've got and it won't be enough. On the second day a chicken came up in the loft of that barn and each day laid an egg without cackling. And John Brentz ate the egg and it sustained him. On the 15th day the chicken got down out of the loft, disappeared, never came back. That afternoon John Brentz climbed gingerly down from the loft and found out that the troops had left that morning. Now where did that chicken come from? Now if we find the answer to that, we might shed some light on the age-old philosophical problem, what came first, the chicken or the egg? Where did that chicken come from? The answer is God. And God made the chicken, put him in the loft, and the chicken sustained him. That's who he is. That's what he's like. That's what he does. He cares for our hunger. And so I went down to the nursing home this week to make a visit. And I started in the room, to the room, of this little lady, sweet little lady, I'll not call her name, member of this church, and I heard her sweet voice saying, Come on, darling, take one more bite. Come on, darling, take another bite. 
And I cracked the door and I saw her standing over the bed of her roommate, a 95-year-old woman who is totally helpless. And she was saying, come on, darling, take one more bite. And I went inside and she had a carton of ice cream, one of those little 15, it used to be a nickel, one of those little cartons of ice cream and a spoon. And she was feeding her roommate ice cream. And she said to me, this is my ice cream, but I'm sharing it with my roommate because she won't eat for the nurses. And she said, every day I give her about half of my ice cream and she'll eat for me. And so I had to stand there and wait until she said, now darling, just a little bit more. And she fed her. And I bowed my head and I thought, God has the strangest ways of feeding His hungry children. For that's, way he, that's the way He is. And that's what He's like. Do you see that? Can you see that? Shake your head like that if you can. A man with nails in his hands, the risen Lord of glory, fixing a fish breakfast for his disciples just because they're tired and they're hungry. And it counsels out our word secular and it says that everything in life is sacred to God, even our hunger. Even breakfast. And I want you to remember that, women, in the morning when you fix breakfast for the 900,000th time, that the Lord of glory one morning fixed breakfast for His disciples when He really didn't have to. And I want you to remember that today when you drag up your chair to a table and eat that food you've taken for granted, that the risen Lord of glory will not let the righteous beg for bread. He cares about breakfast. And there's one more incident. I'd be remiss if I didn't suggest it. He gets Simon Peter off to the side and he says, Simon, do you love me? And, and perhaps he, he waved his hand at those fish, uh, those boats and nets and fish and equipment. And, and perhaps he, he said, Simon, do you love me more than these? As he motioned toward nets and boats and fish. In other words, Simon Peter, are you willing and ready to abandon this job, this work with all its regularity and security, to go out after me in the unknown to bear my name? Are you ready to do that? And in that question, he was expressing concern for Simon because Jesus knew that Simon would never know fulfillment in life until he gave himself away. He knew that, and he was concerned about it. He knew that Simon would never know fulfillment and satisfaction. There'd always be something eating a hole in him until he was willing to abandon everything in obedience to the will of God. He knew that and it concerned him. And if that is so, with his hand this morning, he may be sweeping out over our nice homes and the things that are so important to us and so helpful and our business and all of that security. And he may be saying to us, are you willing to abandon all of this to follow me? If you're not, you'll never know fulfillment in life. And he cares about that.
You remember when the Peace Corps first began? They did some com television commercials to get us interested in the Peace Corps. One of those television commercials really did do something to me. It, it, was a, it was just a commercial of some people serving others. And this voice said, Until you do something with your life, it really doesn't matter how long it is. Let me insert another thing. Until you do something with your life, it really doesn't matter how rich it is. You will never know fulfillment and peace and joy and life until you give it away, said Jesus. And you think he's concerned about that. Yes, he is. Or maybe he said, Simon... Do you love me more than these love me? And, and it's significant that he asked three times for fresh in the memory of Simon Peter was the fact that he denied his Lord three times. And he wanted to give Simon ample opportunity to reaffirm his faith and to counsel out his past failure. He wanted him to find the sense of his own forgiveness. For Jesus knew that Peter could not live with the guilt that he was carrying around in his heart. And Jesus was concerned about that. And if that's true, he says to us this morning, do you love me? Do you love me? As many times as we've denied Him, as many times as we've rejected Him, He keeps coming back to say, I want you to confront the fact that I want to forgive you. I want you to find peace. I want to remove your sin and your guilt. I want you to be happy. I want you to come to the place where you can just get it all off your chest. And I want you to find the peace that comes when the forgiveness I have floods into your spirit being. Because He didn't want you to be miserable and unhappy. And then He says, I want you, Simon, tend my sheep, feed my lambs, shepherd my sheep. You know who He's thinking about? He's thinking about us. Isn't our Lord great? Jerry Clower said, ain't God good? He's got a book out by that title. Isn't he wonderful? He really does care about your work. He really does care about your breakfast. He really does care about your purpose in life and the forgiveness of past sin. He just wants you to have life abundantly. He really cares. You've heard that off-traveled story about the little girl who said to her mother, Mother, why do you have, why are your hands so scarred and twisted? And she said, Honey, when you were a baby, a fire came to our house. It was consuming your room. I rushed in where it was about to engulf you in your crib, and I fought out the flames with my hands. I beat them out, and I carried you to safety. And these wounds, these scars are the result of my care. So that the real question this morning is not, does Jesus care for me?
The real question is the question the choir asked this morning. Do you really care for Him? I mean on the basis of all that God has done and His concern and care for you. What kind of concern and care do you have for Him? That's the big question. And for His church and for His people. Do you really care? It seems to me that if we really cared because He cared, then we'd be feeding sheep, tending lambs, shepherding flocks. I want you to search your heart this morning. I want you, in light of what we've discovered about the care of Christ, I want you to consider how much you care. I'm wondering this morning if there might be someone in this congregation in these moments that remain who would like to say, it seems to me that if God cares that much for me, I could give Him my life. And all He wants to do is bless me. Perhaps you'd like to come this morning because you've never received Christ as your personal Savior. Or maybe you accepted Christ, received Him in the privacy of your own home. You need to come forward publicly. Jesus never called secret disciples. He always called people to follow Him publicly. Be baptized like Egoma as a public declaration and statement of your faith. Would you come to receive Him this morning? You've prayed the sinner's prayer. You've invited Jesus into your life, in your home. But you've not known the complete fulfillment of that experience because you've never publicly declared Him as your Savior. I want you to do that today. I'm praying that you will. And there are some of us this morning who need to unite with the church. We need to place our life here. God has been dealing with us for weeks about it. And because we care about His work and His kingdom and about the progress of the church, we want to be there where God's people are at work. Or maybe you just need to come this morning to say, you know, I really don't care that I'm not that much concerned about lost people, about the work of the church, about the kingdom, about Jesus and all that Jesus taught and represents. I don't really care, but I want to care. And so we'll have prayer and we'll give an invitation because Jesus invites us to come publicly and come forward. And I'll urge you to come as God speaks to your heart. Father. Thank you for showing us this morning that you're interested in fishing breakfast and about life's work and fulfillment, about the gnawing guilt that some of us have, about the need for forgiveness, that you want to do something special with us today because you love us so much. And I pray, Father, that each one of us now will allow you, just allow you 
to pour out your spirit of blessing upon him, her. Forgiveness of sin, restoration to new life, salvation. And I pray, God, from the deep of my heart that this moment of invitation will truly prove to be the day when God poured out His Spirit upon us. Lives were changed and people were made different. We give you this moment in sincere faith, believing that you're present here, that you're speaking to hearts. And so we ask now for the courage to respond in Christ's name for his sake. Now would you stand as our choir would sing, would you come? <laughs>